Good morning. As I thought about uh, a, a final opportunity and so to share the words um, here at Calvary, and so one thing that, was, that I was drawn to was a challenge that I gave to the church that I will be going to in just a few weeks. Uh, and so, but just looking at some adaptations and some things for Calvary, so it's kind of, for them, it was an initial challenge. Uh, coming there. And so I want to leave it as kind of a final challenge here. Uh, and so that will be this morning what we're going through in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, but before we look into the passage, and so one of the things I had to adapt about that message is I didn't give it right near Christmas. And now is Christmas time. Uh, and so, and as you think about Christmas, there's a lot of things that are very different about this season of the year. You drive around at night and you see lights everywhere. And so people don't just do that uh, normally and so, or celebrate that way, but it's this Christmas time. Or if you turn on the radio, lots of different stations are playing a specific kind of music. And so it's Christmas music around this time. Or if you have an on-demand TV service and you say, hey, what movies do they recommend? The first 1,000 movies they recommend are all Christmas movies that have the same ending. Uh, and so it's just, that's what it's going on. So it's this season, and one of those Christmas songs, uh, one that we will even have an opportunity to sing later today, is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I have to admit... When I think of that song, I could, Charlie Brown pops into my head. Uh, because uh, in both Charlie Brown Christmas and It's Christmas Time Again, Charlie Brown, that song is essentially featured as significant portions of those films. Uh, with Charlie Brown Christmas, they come and at the very end, all the kids gather together and they sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So they go through that, but it's, it's in, it's Christmas time again, Charlie Brown, where it's a little different, but the song is still featured as they're putting on a Christmas play. And so the kids are doing that, and Charlie Brown's little sister, Sally, has a part in the play. She is one of the angels. And as her part in the play, she has this line, and she is very nervous the entire film, and she's practicing because she doesn't want to mess up this line. Her line for this play, as she's practicing and says it over and over and over again, what she has to say is, hark, that's all. But she's nervous that she is going to forget the word hark as she goes on to the play. So it gets time for the play, and Charlie Brown is sitting with one of his friends in the audience, and they're like, hey, it's Lucy's coming on. It's her time now. So she comes out there in full angel gear, comes out there, stands right in front of everyone. She's ready for her thing. She says, hockey stick. She messes up her one line for this play. What's interesting and ironic is that that mentality that she has is the exact opposite of the angel that she is actually portraying as we see in Scripture. You see, Sally was so concerned with herself. What am I going to look like? I don't want people to laugh at me. I want to do this well. The whole focus is on herself. 
When if you look at the angels, and as we sing the song later, I would encourage you to think through what are the words that are being sung as we go through that Christmas carol. The whole thing is, I come to proclaim a message, and the emphasis is Christ. It's not about me. It doesn't matter how I look. It doesn't matter Sally and, and her. It doesn't matter what you're going to look like because we proclaim the coming king. That's what that Christmas carol is about. So it's a difference in focus on who do we proclaim? Are we proclaiming ourselves? Are we, are we focused on the way that we look? Or do we proclaim Christ as primary? What we're going to look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. And this is a challenge coming from the example of Paul. And as we're going to look at this verse today, there's three different points. And for each of them, I have three different audiences in mind as we go through the application portion of this passage. The first one I want to give is for me personally. And I share this with you this morning as a personal application because my request is I say, please pray for me as we move on to the next stage of ministry that God has for us. You are loved ones. We have been here a long time and built many relationships, so I request, please pray for us as we go. We are leaving the people we love dearly to go somewhere else. So that's why I share that application to me and say, please pray for us. A second application or a second audience that we have for application is going to be the church. And so as we look at this local assembled body of believers, Calvary Bible Church, that's the second audience. And the third audience is for each and every one of us individually. What does God call us to do as we look at this idea of proclaiming and this challenge we have from the example of Paul? So I'm going to read it, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. We're going to read it a couple times throughout the morning because it's short. And so we don't have a long section here, but we'll read it just to be reminded of these different elements. So read it with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. And it says this, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. God, we are very thankful for your words. And we want to look at this challenge where Paul is saying, this is what I am doing when he proclaims you and not himself. And Lord, may that be true of us. That as we look at our lives and others see our lives, they would look and say, that person lifts up the name of Christ. When I see them, all I can see is Christ because of the focus that they have. Speak to us powerfully from your word this morning, we pray in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, before we can take a, a closer look at this verse, we have to back up a little bit and understand, especially when we look at just one verse, what's some background? What are, what's going on with this? And what we see with Paul and his relationship to the Corinthian church is we see that he is addressing 
problems and some issues that they're dealing with. So that's kind of a lot of the tone of what he's going through. There's sin issues that they're dealing with, and he has to address them. And he, uh, there's even mention of some letters that we don't have recorded in Scripture. He says, I was harsh in this, and I don't want to have to be harsh again in addressing these sin issues. He also is answering questions. There's questions that they're asking. He's like, hey, you didn't understand this completely, so let me answer this a little bit more fully so you understand how you are to live. And then another aspect is he's addressing false teachers. And this is a significant part of what we're going to be looking at today is he's addressing these false teachers that are trying to persuade the Corinthian people to not follow Paul, not follow the teaching of Paul. And so he has to address and he has to defend what he's doing. In 2 Corinthians, throughout this whole passage here, we do see a laid out defense. Where he says, all right, let me explain what I'm doing. Let me explain why I'm doing it. Let me kind of address the accusations that have been made against me. As early as chapter 2 and verse 14 of 2 Corinthians, we see Paul says that he is called to spread the knowledge of God everywhere. That's his mission. That's what he's, he's doing. In chapter 4, he hones in on this a little bit as he gives a description as what he sees the ministry of the gospel. So he says, I'm supposed to spread this good news. And he gets a little bit more specific in chapter 4. And he says, this is what I see as the ministry of the gospel as I'm having to defend myself to these false teachers that are trying to discredit my message. And then we have chapter 4, verse 5, as a highlight of this description as he summarizes the gospel he is preaching. Now I want to read this verse for you one more time as we have that understanding in mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. When we look at this verse, there's three separate things that I want us to be seeing. The first is the conviction to proclaim. The second is the content of the proclamation. And third is the condition of the one or the individual who is doing the proclaiming. So let's start with uh, the, the first part, Paul's conviction to proclaim. Paul starts off in this verse just as he's saying he and the people that he's with. It's just kind of a given that they're proclaiming. Uh, the very beginning, I mean, he just starts off and says, for what we proclaim. It's assumed that this is what he's doing, especially as he has these false teachers making these accusations. But what this tells us is that Paul is not stagnant. He's not static. We have this miraculous conversion recorded of Paul in his life after he was... uh, going after Christians, dragging them out of their home, and so even to the point of Stephen saying, I held the coats for those that killed Stephen who followed Jesus Christ. So we have this miraculous conversion, so now he is the one that is the primary individual that we have recorded that's proclaiming Jesus Christ. So what's happening is he's like, that, I can't just stand still. I can't keep it in. This is what I'm doing. This is the message that I have. There's this conviction that I need to proclaim this to everyone. The conviction that Paul has to be one 
who proclaims is a direct application of Mark's account of the Great Commission. Mark records Jesus' directive in, in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, which says, Go into all the worlds and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. In this passage, we have a command from Jesus to proclaim, to share this message to all of creation. It's a specific message to a specific people, the whole world. That's the mission that he has. This word to proclaim talks about the idea of heralding, to herald or to share, to proclaim, to announce on someone's behalf. And a good way to think of this is that kings at this time, before there was the internet, so you couldn't just post something online, before there were news stations to where you could just share something and have it all over TV, there were people that actually had to ride through the land to share if a new law was signed. So the people knew that they had to follow this new law. So the king would make a, an edict or a proclamation, and he would commission or command these people to go, these heralds, to go to all of the, the place of the domain where it impacted people to share the message. These heralds didn't share their own message. They didn't be like, eh, I don't really like that law. So I'll just rephrase it a little bit. This one's a little bit more palatable. The people won't get mad at me as much. No, it wasn't their message to proclaim. Rather, they proclaimed a message on behalf of someone else. So that's this proclaim, this heralding message that we talk about. You think about, hark the herald angels sing. Now, Sally had a misunderstanding of that phrase there. She thought herald angel was a person. So they're like, this herald angel is going to come eventually, and they're going to sing a song. Uh, and so I'll just lead up to them as I say, hark, then herald angel, you go do your part. Um, but no, this, these are the angels that came to herald to the people. Glory to the newborn king. That wasn't their message. It was God the Father's message where he said, go tell the people. Go tell those shepherds so they can go see who the newborn king is. They were heralding on behalf of another. Now, as Pastor Brett mentioned, my father's going to come up in a few minutes and he's going to give a challenge uh, specifically to me, but it, many elements of it are applicable to each one of us. And I will say that this is not the first challenge my dad has given me. Some I did not appreciate or enjoy over the years, and so, but others I have enjoyed. And one that comes to mind is when I was in high school, I left for school before my dad left for work because we lived really close to the church. So I had to head to school before he left for work every single day. As I was getting ready to leave the house, my dad would say, be salt and light. Be salt and light. It, it's ingrained in me now. It's like I can't think of my dad and not think of salt and light. Uh, and it wasn't just because he liked his steak salted or liked to see it when he ate it. No, it was this idea of being salt and light having an impact on those around you. That idea of being salt and light hasn't left me. It impacts me to the point that as I've been able and I've had the opportunity to drive my children to school because they go to school fairly close to the church, so I drop them off on my way here, 
I would pray for them as we'd pull into the school driveway. And part of my prayer is that God would be with them as they are salt and light. This idea of salt and light comes from the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5. Salt and life both have an impact on what's around them. Salt gives flavor. Salt preserves. Light pierces the darkness so what could not be seen before can now be seen. So there's this idea of impact around you. So as we are called, and as Jesus gave the, the original challenge to be salt and light, he's saying, you need to make an impact on the people that are around you. We are to give someone truth to think about and be challenged with. Now, this isn't our message. This is God's message. We have been given this. We are to herald it to others as salt and light. And just like salt and light have that impact, we are to be a people who proclaim truth and bring people to the point where they need to make a decision. Am I going to take seriously what this person has to say? I can disregard it and go on living life as normal. That's their choice. Or I can listen to what they have to say and I can investigate that further because I think I need that. Our role is not to change the hearts. Our role is to be the one that proclaims the gospel so they are confronted with God's message and have to respond to God's message and not our own. That is being salt in light. This should be a challenge to each and every one of us. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm first preaching this passage to myself. So what I ask is, I, I ask for your prayer in this area. I ask that you pray that pastoral ministry for B would be a ministry of proclaiming God's words. Not getting distracted with other things that are out there, but keeping that focus on God's word. That needs to be my Prior, my priority, my primary conviction, and my motivation. There is no value in any pulpit ministry, in any church, when a preacher gets up and gives his own opinions. There's no value. Proclaiming on our own behalf, there is no authority in what is being proclaimed. Man's opinion is not proclamation. We are not heralding God's message to the church, but rather giving man's flawed view of life. A preacher needs to be one who consistently proclaims the words of God. So as I give myself this challenge, I ask, please pray for us. As we get sent out to another body, that my priority would be the same. We see another challenge to the gathered church. What does Kalamazoo think is the purpose of Calvary Bible Church's existence. Does this body proclaim anything to the people around us? Do they think the church exists primarily as a social club where people interact with one another and we just have our fun time together? Calvary and every other church should have a reputation of caring enough for the people around them that they share what the church says is very important the gospel that we are motivated to proclaim. Is this church known for proclaiming? This extends to each one of us as individuals. God has placed each one of us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, 
in our schools, and wherever else he has us located for the purpose of proclaiming his message to those he places us around. Just as Paul wanted to be that voice of truth wherever he went, and he made those missionary journeys so they would travel and go, we are to do the same, to be that voice of truth to those around us. How often do we seek opportunities to connect with neighbors? And it's not always easy because some neighbors, all we see of them is the garage door goes up, they drive in, the garage door goes down, and that's all the contact we have is visual contact. But do we take advantage of the opportunities that are around us? This week is the week leading up to Christmas. There's almost no other time during the year where people are more open to receiving something from everyone else because it's kind of expected. We give gifts to one another. We can make cookies for one another. These are natural opportunities where we say, I am going to take this opportunity to make contact with my neighbors, make a plate of cookies, share it with a tract, and say, this is what is important to us. This is why we are so excited about this Christmas season because the focus is on the king that came. Are we utilizing those opportunities? Are we also seeking to make new opportunities to connect to those around us? We are Christ's ambassadors. Are we proclaiming any message at all to those around us in this world? As we think about proclaiming, Paul gives us further direction in this verse as to what we are to be proclaiming. We are told that we are to proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So this brings us to the content of the proclamation. What are we supposed to be sharing with people around us? And really there's two aspects, two very simple aspects about this. It is to be not ourselves, but rather Jesus Christ. That's to be the content. There's a reason why Paul mentions this. There's a reason why it comes up in chapter 4 of this book. Paul's responding to the teaching of the Corinthians that they've been receiving from these false teachers, where they've been making accusations about Paul and saying, he is here for personal gain. He's either trying to have notoriety and so he's trying to build up his own name or he's coming and he's trying to make money off of you. So when, when he asks for offerings, he's just trying to get rich. And you see at different times Paul making reference to these and responding to these. And so in this passage, he's saying, we don't proclaim ourselves, but rather we proclaim Christ. Paul in his defense tries to make it clear that he's sharing the truth of the gospel not for personal gain, but because he loves the people. He goes out of his way to not burden the Corinthians as he's accepting money from other churches. He says, I don't even want you to, to think that I'm trying to go for personal gain, so I won't ask you for anything. This reflects thinking of when he wrote earlier in 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, when he says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's mission was to proclaim Jesus Christ, to proclaim him crucified, that they might rest in God's power and not merely in the words of men. So he's coming back again and he's trying to deflect all attention and saying the purpose that we have as followers of God is not to make our name greater is not to make our status greater, but rather is to point people to Christ. He's deflecting as much as he can. This, again, is seen in the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The second line says, Glory to the angels? No. Glory to the newborn king. The angels in all of their splendor as seen by the shepherds, it would have been a magnificent thing to see, but they completely said, glories to the newborn king. They didn't have any message for themselves. John, the writer of the gospel of John, very succinctly summarizes this thought as he quotes John the Baptist in John chapter 2, verse 30. When John the Baptist says, he must increase. I must decrease. This is the same John the Baptist that Jesus says, there's nobody like this man. The one that comes before Jesus Christ, the one that is proclaiming, that is preparing the way for Jesus Christ, where Jesus says many great things about him, and John says, oh, I must decrease. He must increase. I am nothing. I need to just pave the way for him. In both Paul's and John the Baptist statements, we see that only one side or the other can be true. We can't proclaim ourselves and Christ at the same time. We either proclaim Christ and lift him up, or the focus is on us. We even see John the Baptist's statement taking things further as he says, not only does Christ need to be greater, but I must be less than I currently am. The one that ate locusts and had camel's hair as clothes, who was already seen as pretty low, he says, I still must decrease. I, as I'm preaching this to myself, again, ask for your prayers, as I need to be both convinced of and act on the understanding that I, nor any other proclaimer of the gospel, should use this as a platform for personal gain. It's not what God calls us to do. A pastoral position is, is not that platform to promote self, but rather it's a platform to promote Christ. All energy and focus needs to be devoted to the honor and glorification of Jesus Christ as we proclaim his words and not man's. The gathered church here at Calvary should also take this as both a warning and a challenge. If the church acts in any way to make the name or the standing of the church greater in the community or in the eyes of the people around it, it will have eclipsed Christ, Christ as the focus. 
No longer would Christ be Lord or Master or that primary being, but rather it would be the church as primary. Instead, the church would seek every possible opportunity, every possible avenue to make sure that anyone who hears the name of Calvary Bible Church is immediately drawn to think that's the church that loves, follows, and lifts the name of Jesus Christ. If anyone is to be drawn to this local body, it shouldn't be because of its nice facilities, because it's a great place to make connections, connections, or it's a great music and we appreciate it, or because it has qualities of really high, uh, concerts of really high quality, or the children and youth programs are really good, but rather because this is the place where people are introduced to Jesus Christ and challenged to make, for them to make him the Lord of their life. We must decrease. He must increase. The greatest challenge for each of us will be on the personal level. The challenge comes as the world tells us we need to be greater. We need to have greater status. We need to have such a better resume so we get the raise and so people look at us and, and we can advance as we desire to. We are challenged to herald our own achievements. One of the significant reasons why people find it difficult to share their faith is a fear of what people will think of us. What are they going to think? Are going to think, I think I'm, I'm just focused on that. Are they going to look down on me because of it? But that is a Sally mentality. What are they going to think when I have my line, when I say hark, and I mess up? It's focused on us rather than us being focused on others. We want our colleagues to respect us. We don't want our neighbors to think we're weird. But all of these situations are a focus on proclaiming our own name above the name of Christ. That needs to change. Yes, Paul was ridiculed and had many difficulties because he focused primarily on proclaiming Christ. But I believe his motivation came because he knew what he was saved from. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul understood the magnitude of his sin. Paul understood the magnitude of his salvation, and it changed the way he lived. No longer did he have that focus, and you could tell from his background that it was significant. He had grounds to lift himself up. But he said, that's, that's not the case. Christ needs to be greater because I am the greatest sinner that I know. Do we have that same understanding? Paul closes this verse with a picture of what of a life of someone who proclaims Christ and what that should look like. So this is the condition of the one proclaiming. And I want to read this verse for us one last time. And it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our, as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, 
for Jesus' sake. Paul gives one last piece of evidence here where he's saying, I am not proclaiming myself. Those false teachers are wrong. They're making false accusations. He said, instead of that, instead of my name and reputation be puffed up, rather I come as your servant. Now, he's not calling the Corinthians his master, but rather he's saying, because Christ is my master, because he is my master, that is the reason why I become a servant to my fellow man. Paul more fully explains this thought in his letter to another church when he writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. And I encourage you, let's turn to that real quick. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, and we'll get a good understanding of what Paul means by this. It says this in Philippians chapter 2 Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Here we see Paul explaining this motivation for humility because he says, the Savior that saved me, this is his example. This is who I need to follow. I need to make him greater. He went through the ultimate act of humility by dying for our sins, sin, dying on a cross, which was a painful and shameful way to die in their eyes. As we preach Christ, we should not only desire to make ourselves decrease, but we should desire to follow the example of Christ and humbly aim to serve others. I ask for prayer one last time, that as God uses me within pastoral ministry, that you would pray that I would continue to preach to myself that I am not the only one that's part of the body of Christ, that there are many others and that we need each other. Because we're all essential for the body to function as it should. No part of the body is greater than another because all parts are needed. My mission is, should be to serve the body wherever he chooses to place me. Calvary Bible Church also needs to be unified in its focus to humbly serve the greater Kalamazoo area. Showing the love of Christ opens up significant opportunities and doors to be able to have gospel conversations. It all starts with the mentality that God called us to be salt and light for him. To make an impact around us, not to raise ourselves up, but to raise Christ up. Calvary doesn't need to be seen as the place to be or the biggest church in town but it should be known as the body of believers who loves and serves its community so greatly because it wants to share the message of Christ. The desire is to be salt and light. This mentality needs to also be had by every member. Do we have the mindset of proclaiming Christ that leads us to serving others? Husbands, husbands, 
Is this evident in the way that you treat your wives? Do our bosses come to us asking questions because we go above and beyond what is expected in the workplace? Parents, do we teach our children how to serve others by serving them? Do our neighbors know they can count on us because we have served them in the past and let them know we are here for you? Do our unsaved family members reach out to us when they're going through hard times because we've cared for them in the past? Do church members gravitate to us because we are known and we have served them in the past? In each of these situations, are we serving others so we can have a platform to proclaim Christ and not ourselves? We need to be marked as people who proclaim Christ, are not focused on our own status, and seek to humbly serve others as Christ served us as he went to the cross. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that you are our perfect example. God, we are also thankful that you have given us the challenge to proclaim you because we have been saved by you. God, give us an understanding of the depth of our salvation, the depth of our sin. So as we think of our neighbors, our coworkers, we can do nothing but lift the name of Christ and proclaim him. God, give us strength to do that. Help us to lower ourselves so that you are daily seen more visibly by the world around us. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand and let's reflect on the words as we sing. Hark the herald angels sing. Please stand. Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled Joyful all ye nations rise Join the triumph of the skies With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. Christ by highest heaven adorned, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Wow. 
peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all He brings. Raised with healing in His wings, mighty lays His glory by. Born that man, no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to welcome Pastor Jeff Willits at this time. Well, Calvary, first I need to say thank you on behalf of both my wife and myself for such good care you have taken for our family. If I go back and I go with a little nostalgia, I remember uh, raising him in the household, and I won't give you all the stories, but we had a good time in the household, and I can remember taking him to college. You know what that's like when you've, you've had them your entire life right into this little shelter area, and you take him to college, and you're going to drop him off. And we took him to Cedarville University. Now, we were, we're, have been and still are fans of Cedarville University, so we knew it was going to be a good place for him. But as we went, he, we dropped him off early because he, was, he was on a so- went to the soccer uh, team. and I mean, they were there early before everybody else was there. So we kind of like dropped off our baby. He's our oldest, but he dropped off our child at the college, all alone, no one else was there, and we're thinking, wow, this is kind of like, feels terrible. You know, you're dropping the kid off. Hey, hope you do well. See you later. And I got to back up. His mom used to do something whenever, you know, you, you found out that I said, salt and light, salt and light. His mom would stay at the window, and she would wave to him at the window when he goes out with kind of a silly wave, like, you know. So we drop him off. Second floor, we look at the window, he's there. He looks out the window down to his mom. At that point, I know, don't look at her, don't ask her anything, or there'll be a flood of tears all the way home. But we were very happy for that time. Four years later, graduates from school, needs to find somewhere. His sweet wife has been checking online, where can you go? And she finds this place and... Kalamazoo, Michigan, Calvary Bible Church. And uh, there's an opening. And so that began this look and this thing. And, and of course, then we're like, we prayed earnestly as we sent our son away from our home. Now he's going to some place in Kalamazoo. We don't know that church at all. Yeah, I'm going to do as much research as I can and just then commit it to prayer to the Lord. And I got to tell you, 16 plus years later, we are so thankful for what you have done in their life. We feel so blessed by you. I, I'm normally working Sundays, so I don't get a chance to come up and see you very often. Um, and so when I, when I do come, every time I've just been impressed by your hearts, by your love. 
uh, by the godliness and, and uh, just what we know. So I just need to say thank you so much for investing in our kids' lives, uh, and, and we feel very blessed. We, there's a sense in which we're like, you can't leave Calvary. No, we... Yeah, you're coming closer to us, but more important than that is the spiritual development for you and for your children, our grandchildren, and we love what you've done. So again, thank you on our behalf. Pastor, I want to thank you also for allowing me to be able to be part of this today and, and inviting me to come. Uh, he's right that uh, I have given him advice before, but that's always been because he's been in my household. I recognize once he left the household, giving advice was now only by permission. When it's asked, thanks for asking me. Now I can give him advice again. <laughs> it comes back, and, and I also know it's a, it's a difficult thing to give up this sacred desk, to allow someone else to be able to share in, the, in, in this spot. And I call it a sacred desk not because of... Uh, who stands behind it and not even because I drop my Bible on it and it suddenly becomes sacred. But it's the message that is delivered that comes from the Lord and that kind of is a theme that I want you to be able to see is that as you come and as I turn the attention a little bit more directing towards Jeremy, but it is something that we can all say, I can, I can take this home and say this is true if I'm raising kids, it's true if I'm head of a household, it's true uh, if I'm doing a Bible study, if I'm true if I'm uh, a Bible teacher. But specifically, I want Jeremy to hear this important part about what his role is. I want to take just one verse in Nehemiah, so you can turn to the book of Nehemiah if you would like to, to be able to see where we're going to be. But I want to back up and tell you a little bit about Nehemiah. You kind of know the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem to build the walls. The uh, city had been torn down. The place was a mess. Nehemiah is going to a place that has one time been very prosperous, but now it's a mess. And so what are you going to do here? Earlier than Nehemiah was Ezra. I take one step back. Ezra was permitted to come 20 years earlier, and he was able to build the temple. So the temple has been restored. If you read the book of Ezra, you find out that there was a lot of stop and start in this whole temple building process. So once they finally were able to complete the temple 20 years later, uh, Nehemiah then is allowed to come back. He gets reports about what's going on. He said, yeah, the temple's there. They're doing this, but it's not safe at all. There's still a lot of carnage there. What had happened over multiple years of deportations, people is being flooded out of there, and, and the people now are hungry. Seventy years it has been for this time frame between when the deportation started and now when they're allowed to come back. And so there's been a lot of things going under the, uh, over the bridge and, and just complications going on. And so now Nehemiah is ready to head back. The people are ready to hear from the word of God. Nehemiah is ready to come back to be able to build the wall. And so that kind of lays the foundation for when Nehemiah steps in 52 days building the wall. The wall is completed and the celebration that happens after they see the the temple is built now the wall is built and chapter 8 that's where we'll be Nehemiah chapter 8 you thought he forgot to tell us no I was just making certain you weren't getting ahead of me Nehemiah chapter 8 
it begins by saying, telling us that the, the people implored Ezra. Ezra was the priest. Nehemiah was the kind of the contractor allowed to do this. He was the leadership with it. They implored him. They kind of like begging him, bring out the books, the laws of the prophets, and read them to us. Wow, that is a great thing you want to hear. You, you, you want to encourage Pastor Brett's heart Next Sunday, say, bring out your Bible. Preach it to us. He's going, yeah, that's like better than an amen. It's going to get him going. So here's the thing. People were excited about that, imploring him to bring out the books. And so we read chapter chapter 8, verse 4. It says that he, he got out and he put it down and stood on the platform that had been built for that purpose. I see we do the same thing today, don't we? We build a platform for the purpose of the proclamation of the Word of God. Know this. It's not because of the people that walk on the platform are like they should be elevated. No. The only reason is the message should have no hindrance. If it's hard to see because of the size of the church, make no hindrance. And so Ezra was not there because of who Ezra was. Ezra's platform was just there simply so that the message had no hindrance and could easily go to the people. So Ezra stood up on the platform that had been built for this purpose, opened the scriptures. Um, It said he read all day long and he stood all day long. Isn't that amazing? I kind of wanted to try that sometime in church because you you know the new thing we do if you go back to when I was younger... We always sat and sang, right? We don't sit and sing at all anymore, do we? It's always standing. So I always want to joke with the folks that say, all right, as soon as we're done standing and singing, you guys sit down and I stand up the rest of the time. We're going to do it like Ezra. You're standing up with me. You don't need to do that. I'm not going to have you. And I wouldn't suggest you make the church at Springfield do that. He stood up, and it's just kind of amazing. And, and the rest of the whole thing about how it all transpired is kind of unique, but I want to jump now to verse 8 because what we see is Ezra was there. We had a lot of people helping Ezra that they're going to be part of it. Maybe that you, you can call those small groups if you want or whatever they were doing. It was like they were there, and then he kind of divided to help them understand. But verse 8 is the challenge I want to leave with Jeremy. They read from the book from the law of God clearly and they gave the sense to the, so that the people understood the reading there are four things I want to pull out that I want to say this is what your job is Okay, read from the book the book there will be a lot of books that people say have you read that one? Oh, this is a good one you ought to preach through this one there are going to be several articles that someone says, I saw this in World Magazine, and you ought to know this, and so you can bring it. There will be some other newscasts that people might say, hey, I want you to hear that. Your heart is going to go towards certain things that are easier to go to, or you really want that. And at times, it's not the book that we proclaim. That's the mistake. Always proclaim the book take a time to make certain you set it read it know it and be ready to proclaim the book in the proclamation of the book what we were taught in school is to be able to take a book of the bible 
walk through that particular book from beginning to the end then you are able to see the the message that was given through this book you just read for us Philippians what is the message from the beginning to the end of Philippians if you go from the beginning to the end in a series then what you're going to do is you're going to allow God to speak not Jeremy to say his hobby horses because God has a, a plan as he gave the word out to the authors so you let God speak don't you say what you want what you say what God wants then it says they read it clearly kind of interesting just one little word clearly what does he mean by that well I believe Jeremy what it means is that there are some things that we don't want to cover <laughs> some things that are harder I concluded just a little bit ago what I started and read through preached through this whole year the book of 1 Corinthians not a fun book to preach through not the book you should start with at Southgate it is a hard book because you're going to hammer the people this is what is wrong this is what did, happened improperly and it, he's answering questions at one point you're going to have to deal with immorality another point you have to deal with women in the church what is the role of women in the church I really wanted to be sick that week and have the associate take it I knew that that's going to be like okay here's the target go ahead so what happens is there are certain areas we want to skip over, but to do it clearly, you make certain that this is what God said. I will make certain you understand. I'll make it clear. I won't skip it. I won't use other words. I will make it clear God's message to you. Um, you need to be in that area biblically correct and not so much worried about being politically correct. Clearly giving the sense that's the third thing giving the sense what does it mean to give the sense well the word that's used there is a word that means to expose to open their eyes to to make the sense to expose them to it is where we get the term expository expository preaching it is to take the word of God and you open up so that their hearts can see and know exactly what God's word is. You expose them to the truth of God's word. In a lot of ways, you become a heart surgeon. The scalpel is the word of God. And you will take the word of God, expose their hearts, and let them see. Hebrews says it this way, for the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing and dividing of the soul and spirit, of the joints and marrows, discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's the word of God. It's when he opened the book, read the book, made it clear what the book said, explained the book, exposed the people to the word of God. That's your job. And the end result you want? Help the hearers understand the book. That's the last phrase there. So the people understood the reading. He did all of this in such a way that the people understood the reading. That's your job, to impress them with the word of God, not to impress them with whatever words you learned in seminary, whatever is the deepest book you just read. It's not your knowledge that should impress them it's the truth of who he is God is so impressive we don't need to add anything else just expose them to who he is and what he's done 
so that people understand, that people understand what this word says, what God expects of me, what God expects of everyone sitting here, so when they go home, they know what God's word said, what's expected of them, and now it's up to them to be obedient to the word of God, and you will sleep easy if you give them the word of God and leave it in their hands, because it's not your job to change hearts. That's God's job. It's your job to expose their heart to the word of God. Are you ready to do that? Pastor Willits, how are you going to do that? Are you going to do that by... uh, getting some kind of the newest thing online you're going to read through it and say oh this someone said here's the idea of what you need to do the latest how-to story you're going to find them all over well if we find out what Ezra so let me back up as you come and you go to preach the word of God you don't just step up and say that morning what should I talk about you can't do that or you're going to be in trouble they're going to be in trouble because it's not what they want to do. You have to do something before that. So if we kind of understand this book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had, we find out when he came, before Nehemiah was Ezra. Ezra is the one reading. And so if I go back to the book of Ezra to find out how did you get ready when the people said, now, we need it now. Here's a bonus verse for you. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules of Israel. He had set his heart to say, I'm going to read it, 